Hi, this is a message from Life Church Leeds. We hope it encourages and helps you. Well, we're going to get into the Word of God today, and we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 5, okay? Matthew chapter 5 is where we are going. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 16, it says this, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were also before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. For you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And then just a couple of more scriptures, which is in the same chapter, Matthew chapter 5, but in verses 43 to 48. It's going to come on here. It says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, to show that you are the children of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the wicked and on the good and makes the rain fall upon the upright and the wrongdoers alike. For if you love those who love you, what reward can you have? Do not even the tax collectors do that. And if you greet only your brethren, what more than others are you doing? Do not even the Gentiles, the heathen, do that. For you, therefore, must be perfect growing into complete maturity of godliness in mind and character, having reached the proper height of virtue and integrity as your heavenly Father is perfect. Another version puts it like this, that me, we may share in the values of our God the Father, that we might have godly values. And so I want to open this passage of scripture up today. And man, man alive, I feel inspired by Ed. And yeah, thank you, Ed, for um, preempting this. Um, because I'm not sure that my message is going to be as dynamic or as energy filled today. But you've had your boost from him. Um, but I do want to take you through this passage um, today. I've played football for many years. I have played football and I've also coached football and I've been a manager for a football team. We were incredibly um, awful. Um, um, And many of you have have experience of probably sport. And and what I'd call in sport, I'd call it like the player-coach relationship. Okay? You know, you've got the coach and you've got the player. You've got the manager and you've got the team. And in sport settings, um, in sport settings... Ultimately, there is, there is one outcome that is important, and the outcome is the result. Okay? 
the result. It's all about winning. Now, I know some of you say, might say, um, and I know they say this in school these days to the kids, it's not the winning that matters, it's the taking part. What a load of rubbish that is, okay? And whenever, whenever my son comes home and tells me that, I look him in the eye and say, hey, you go back to your PE teacher and say, I'm a winner. <laughs> I get what they mean. We don't want to just have a whole nation of people who are just dominant about killing everyone to win. Taking part is important. And, but there is something great when it's what's I don't understand sport without a competitive edge. Okay, you know, what, what's the point of having a boxing match if there's no winner? What's the point of, you know, an athletics race if there's no finish line? Okay, and so winning matters. The vision of the team, how many of you agree, is to win. And how we win doesn't really matter, just win. Jay had a game on Friday night against the team. Jay's in quite a good team. He's in one of the best teams in West Yorkshire for his age range. He's in football. And he was playing. And on, on Friday night, they had a game. And they won, which is good. But there was this lad. And this lad just took him out. <laughs> like, fouled him. But at that age, it's called self-referee. There's no referee. It's almost like you self-ref the game. Unless the, one of the coaches from the team says, blows and goes, hold on. Like, you know. And so it was going on. So nothing really happened. And I'm on the sidelines going, <laughs> I mean, he's eight. So I went, Jay, <laughs> Jay. <laughs> and he didn't really hear me. Anyway, after the game, we're driving home and he goes, I, I could hear you shouting. What were you shouting? And I was basically saying, get him back. That's <laughs> <laughs> what I was trying to say to him. He's just taking you down. Take him down. Knock him down. Don't let him do that. Because Jay is so polite and so kind. And like, you could see he was annoyed at him. But I'm like, and the end of the opportunity, when the ball's there, you get the ball, but you also get the man, okay? Which, <laughs> sorry, Abs, it's, I'm just, I'm not, I'm being, it's called football. I'm, some of you might disagree with me. And... I'm not condoning fouling or cheating. It's called competitive sport. You know what I mean. But the result is to win. And sometimes you'll hear a phrase, and the phrase will be, especially in football, well, sometimes it's good just to win ugly. Have you heard that? Which is normally referring to a team who, like, doesn't have any possession, doesn't make many chances, you know, is all over the place, but they get a 1-0 smash-and-grab win, it's called, and they end up winning the game. doesn't matter how you win, just win ugly. That's in sport, but maybe in business or maybe in your office, especially if you're in, like, quite a high-achievement environment, um, where you have an office team tour and the manager comes in or the supervisor comes in and you had your quarterly results for the business and they are like put up on the board and there will be celebration because the success is in reaching the target. <laughs> and if we reach the target, we're going to get commission and we're going to get a bonus. And so it doesn't really matter how we reach the target. The vision is let's win. The vision is, let's maximize the target. Let's do what we have to do. And if we have to defeat the opposition, so be it. Okay. If we have to destroy the other business that's doing the same thing that we do, so be it. Why? Because we want to reach the target. Why? Because normally the target equals money, profit, dividends, bonuses. And that becomes almost like the aim. Here we find Jesus as the manager, the coach, the supervisor, the boss, however you want to call it, giving his own team talk. 
And think of Jesus in a dressing room with the players, and he's there. And this is Jesus, the first time really he's given a proper team talk. Because this message, the Sermon on the Mount, is a famous message, and it's an influential message. And it's really the, the first, I'm almost like the first team talk that he will give. And the Bible says that, I love what it says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went on a mountainside and didn't request a lectern and didn't request an LED screen, but the Bible says he just sat down. (laughs) He just sat down and spoke with the people. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus, of Jesus just sat down with his disciples. Now, Jesus, like I'm saying, is at the beginning of his ministry And Jesus has three years. He knows he's 30 years old and he's going to go to the cross at, what, 33? Okay. And so he really knows he has three years to really make this impact in his life. Now, if that's me, if I'm Jesus, I'm thinking, I've got three years. I'm, I'm, I'm like lining up the metrics. Okay. I need to line up the metrics with the disciples. We're going to win this game. And so... Someone needs to take a note on our number of salvations. Take a note of that, Peter. Okay, number of salvations. You're in charge of how many. You need to count it. Okay, number of baptisms, number of disciples, number of miracles. And we'll grade the miracles into A, B, and C. Different levels. Raising from the dead is an A. Number of dead people back to life, because I think that's worth noting. So let's keep a record of that. Number of, number of Pharisees repenting. Let's keep a note of that. It's almost like Jesus is there like Jose Mourinho with his team saying, all right, guys, this is the plan. We've got three years. We're going to win this. And we're going to do this. And we're going to become the most successful team the world has ever seen. Are you in? Come on, hand in. Ooh, disciples. <laughs> almost like with their smart goals. Let's be specific. Let's be measurable. Let's achieve are they achievable? Let's, may they be realistic and let they be time-based. Is that all right? Specific, measurable. I remember something from A-levels. <laughs> and so Jesus, you could almost imagine Jesus is there. And yet, it's almost like Jesus in those three years would be vision, vision, vision. This is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. And this is what we're going to see. And this is what we're going to build. And this is what we're going to achieve. And this is what's going to happen. And vision, 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 vision. The problem when you're only led by vision or by results or by output is that you have high achievement, but sometimes at the expense of the why, sometimes at the expense of the purpose, sometimes at the expense of the experience or the encounter. And I think what Jesus is saying in this passage is saying despite the incredible mission ahead of him, despite the incredible mission and vision ahead of the disciples and this team, I think what Jesus is saying through the Sermon on the Mount, particularly with these Beatitudes, but then everything else he goes on to read, to write in Matthew 5, um, he goes on to speak in Matthew 5 and 6. I think this is really what he's saying, and this is the crux of my message, and if you don't go home with anything, hopefully you go home with this, that the values of life, Proceed, go before the vision of your life. Okay? The values of life precede the visions of life. 
Because I think we can lead, and I'm speaking for me personally, and, and maybe you resonate with this, but I can either lead a vision-led life or I can lead a value-led life. Now, to live with vision is good. The Bible talks about vision is important because vision enables us to see where we want to go. So it's good to have a plan and it's good to have a dream and it's good to have a desire and it's good to have a vision, which is really what a picture of ultimately where you want to go to in your life. And so that is good. I'm sure some of you have like a life map ahead of you. <laughs> um, by certain ages, you want to do this and then I want to buy a house and I'd love to have this job and I'd love to be living there. And, then, you know, and, and, and that is all good. Nothing wrong with that. But I think we can either lead a vision-led life or we can lead a value-led life. And um, let me just do it quickly here. Dan Oliphant, can you just hop up here quickly? Sorry, I'm not going to embarrass you or anything. Hop up here. And Stu, Stu, can you just help me out? And you stand on this side. And um, Dan, if you hold the end of that cable. And um, Stu, if you can hold the end of that cable. And Dan, if I give you, um, if I give you that, okay? Just show that to everyone. And Stu, if you hold that, you can show that to everyone. Here we have vision, okay? And here we have values. I know it's not typed up on a big box because I wrote on a piece of paper five minutes before the service. Um, We have vision and we have values. In my experience, what happens sometimes when you're led by vision, we, we walk this way because vision is leading us and ultimately values end up having to follow wherever you go your values ultimately become like a servant to the vision and because i need to do that and because i want to get there and because i want to achieve this i'm going to have to surrender some of my values i'm going to have to sacrifice some of my values because you need to know i've got a dream and i've got a plan And I will get there. And so if that means, you know, like smashing the opposition in the local business coffee shop, because we have a coffee shop and we're going to, we're going to, I don't know, do something so that they lose the business because I need my business to succeed. Your values basically submit to your vision. And I never see that work well. And I think what Jesus is speaking about in Matthew 5 through the Sermon on the Mount is a different way of living. And I think Jesus is saying, allow your values to lead your life. And as your values lead your life, guess what? Your vision can then follow. And it's not to say you give up on your vision. It's not to say you sacrifice your vision. But I think what it's Jesus is saying is your values set the foundation for where you want to go. So say you're a coffee shop. Your value of your coffee shop is we're going to be integrous as a coffee shop. And we're going to be kind to other coffee shops. Okay? That is a value. Now, the vision of that means you might not expand as quickly as you wanted to expand. The profit might not be as vast as you wanted the profits to be. But in the long run, let me tell you, this will be a much healthier place to be in than it would be if vision begins to lead and you're dragging your values through every single place. And I think what Jesus is saying and what I'm learning as a leader and as a man and as a father and as a husband and whatever other things I am, a football coach. And, <laughs> um, 
allow your vision to serve your values. I think what I'm trying to say is your values are your leaders. I don't mean people. I mean your values are your leading edge. That is ultimately who you are. And allow your vision to follow. Make sense? Come on, give these guys a round of applause. Thank you so much. Values, what are they? They are principles. They are standards of what is important and what is a priority. And many of us have an idea and many of us have a direction of where we want to go to in life. And like I said, that's vision and that is good. But maybe some of you in the room are a little bit less certain of the values you hold. And yet you're a little bit more sure of the vision that you have. And I kind of want to just flip with that and mess that about a little bit today. And go, hey, maybe just park your vision to the side for a moment. Park the ambition to the side. Park maybe some of those drivers to the side. And just reevaluate what is important to you. Reevaluate what is a priority for you. Because sometimes we look to the calling and we hope the character will catch up. But if my character could lead... Maybe my calling can catch up. And Jesus is saying in his first major significant message, okay? Think about this. This is the Sermon on the Mount. This is the message of messages, okay? His first line, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. His next line, you think, oh, that wasn't great. Maybe the next better one's coming. Blessed are those who mourn. For they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. For they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they will be filled. Because I think what Jesus is saying is what is most important in your life. Is your value. When it comes to your reliance on who God is. Blessed are the poor in spirit basically means like when there's nothing else in you, kind of when you're at the end of yourself, is there still a reliance on God? Or do you still think you've always got what it takes and you can get through it and you can do it by yourself and one day I'll strengthen my way and I'll just do it, do it, do it. No, blessed are the poor in spirit is coming to God saying, God, I haven't got nothing left. You have to fill me. You have to strengthen me. You have to guide me. You have to lead me. And I think Jesus is saying, if you lead like that, guess what? The kingdom of heaven is yours. But for those of us who think, well, I'm fine, I'm sorted, I'm doing well, I'm perfect, I don't need any help, I'll be cool, God, I'll get on through this, I'm fine, as long as I do my verse a day, no problem. And it's like, no, that's where life becomes very difficult. But if we can just surrender ourselves and go, hey, we are human beings filled with flaws, filled with vulnerabilities, filled with the issues of life, all of us. And God, I come to you poor in spirit and Jesus says I can do something with that blessed are those who mourn blessed are those who meek who are meek because once that becomes a value that I am fully and solely reliant upon God once that becomes a value to me my vision for my life can follow that and my vision can surrender to that You see, when you read through the Gospels, in fact, Jesus is always majoring on what you can become more than what you can do. 
He's always talking to his disciples about who you should become and how we can grow in this and, and who we can become. And in fact, Ephesians that we've been on for, I don't know, 45 weeks, the book of Ephesians is all about who you are in Christ. Very rarely do you find Paul the Apostle, you know, living a vision-led message, a vision-led apostleship, a vision-led. It's all about value system in God. It's all about who you are and who you are becoming. And the verse 48 in the Amplified of that passage, I know it doesn't say it on the screen, but in my Bible it says, actively integrate godly values into your daily life. Actively integrate godly values into your daily life. Because maybe life would look a little bit different if we integrated godly values into our lives. You see, we have godly values and they're also worldly values. Worldly values are the priorities of the world. And sometimes they're rooted in success. Sometimes they are um, rooted in um, the survival of the fittest. And then there are godly values. And what are godly values? They are the priorities that God has. Now, our heart and our desire, really, and ultimately what it is to be a follower of Christ, is to share in and be in union with the values of God. And so godly values are the priorities of God. And I think it's worth mentioning this. God's metrics, you know when I say the word metrics, God's almost like measurements of of. of of how we sometimes measure life, God's metrics are very different to ours. Okay? God doesn't base the success of a church on its attendance. God doesn't base the success of its church on its buildings or its level of finance or its level of volunteers or how many have done growth track or how many attend a conference. God doesn't base any of his metrics on those things. God's definition of success is very different to our definition of success. So the question is, what are the priorities? What are the values of God? How can we choose to value what God values? Because that's how I think God measures it. Because the Bible says, you know, you'll be judged ultimately by your fruit. What is fruit? The fruit is the manifestation of your value system. So if you are a tree and the value system has a good value system, (laughs) apples will flow. But if there are no apples coming from the tree, maybe there are challenges with the value system within that tree. And so God isn't measuring us on our level of success. Success to him looks like where our values are prioritised. And so what does it look like, I think, to have godly values? Really quickly, because I'm running out of time rapidly. And there's nothing profound in this, okay? So if you're expecting, you know, oh my gosh, that's the most amazing point ever, you're going to be disappointed. (laughs) Okay, these are very, very simple things that I think are just, in my, in my experience with God, the values. If you said, what are the values of God? First one, kindness. God is a kind God. It is a value for him. At the root of God is his love. And the expression of his love is found in his kindness. It's easy to say God is love, but the kindness of God becomes the expression of that. And so you might say, I really love my wife, or I really love my husband, or I really love my fiancé. But the reason you love your fiancé is because of the kindness that they express to you. The reason, I, the reason my kids know I love them is because I express kindness to them. So don't say you love something if you cannot be kind to that person. 
Because you cannot separate love and kindness. And sometimes, you know, we text, you love you. We'll then show kindness back. Because love is kind, it even says that. In 1 Corinthians 13. So you choose to be kind. You don't default kindness. You don't just wake up and go, oh man, I've just walked and just been kind automatically. I don't know, when I wake up, I'm sometimes not kind. I have to choose kindness. And God chooses to be kind to you. It is a choice that he makes. It is a value of God. Second value, I think, is in God is humility. He's the God. He's the Lord of all creation. He's the poor. Poor. Is what God is. Awesome. But yet there's a humility in the manifestation, especially in the son who comes to earth from being born in a manger in smelly old Bethlehem to being a carpenter for 30 years and humbly washing disciples' feet and voluntarily and taking up the cross and going be crucified. And the Bible even talks about the humility of Christ. You can read about that in Philippians. But Jesus emphasizes that he comes to earth. And what does he say? I've come to earth not to be served, but to serve. And Jesus says, the Bible says, Jesus will only say what the Father tells him to say. And he'll only do what the Father tells him to do. And so what Jesus is saying is, I'm speaking out a value of our family. (laughs) And the value of my father is to be humble. So therefore model that. Even Jesus just sat down, being on their own level. We're just going to have a chat about these Beatitudes. (laughs) The third thing, the third value in God is honesty and integrity. It is a value within God. You cut him, he is honest, he is truth. In fact, the Bible says it is impossible for God to lie. I love that verse. Impossible. Like you can't actually do it. It is impossible. In the Greek, it means impossible. (laughs) It means it cannot be done. (laughs) Impossible for God to lie because he is all truth. There is no deception and there is no dishonesty within him. A value with him is his honesty and integrity. Fourthly, I think another value of God is his generosity. He's a generous God. The desire to give me more than I than he takes, the desire for me to give more than I take should be a shared value. He's generous to us in so many ways. It's a value. Fifth, and we could go on and on and maybe we can at some point, but the five today, I think, just help you understand. The fifth one would be forgiveness. It's a value within God. He doesn't hold resentment. He doesn't hold bitterness towards you. He doesn't hold grudges towards you. He is a forgiving father. It is a value. And I tell you what, there are things in my life which don't really deserve the forgiveness of God, and yet God still chooses to forgive. It's a value. God is willing and he wants to forgive. It matters to him. And once you set your values... Your vision has a tow bar to follow securely. If you've ever seen a car with a, carrying a tow bar with a caravan. And one of the main reasons sometimes we go off course is because your vision disconnects from your values. There has to be a reconnection of your vision to your values. And your values is what drives and your vision can follow. 
And maybe you're there in your life and you're a little bit disoriented. You feel like you've almost, your caravan has come off course. It's not because your vision was maybe bad. Not because your vision was maybe rushed or anything like that. It just probably got disconnected from what was really important, from really what mattered. And so question as we close, what are your personal values? I think it's worth writing them down. Many of you have got a vision statement for your life because that's what we've been taught in business and previous years have a vision statement for your life. And many of you have that, that's cool. But do you have a value system? Do you have a value statement? Do you have values this important? You know, when you sometimes go into people's homes and in this house, we laugh and in this house, we love and in this house, we forgive and in this house, we they are values, personal values. But question, what are your family values? Because me and Abs with four kids, we are establishing family values. No, you cannot speak like that to one of your brothers and sisters. No, you cannot respond like that. We love, we show kindness, we are respectful, we like to laugh, we enjoy each other's company, we have fun. Do you know, we are, we, we, we are, we are, they are the values that we don't have them all set. They are still being formed in our family. And then also, what are our church values? What's important to us as a church? What is a priority to us as a church? What matters most? What is important to you? What is important to us? Because every letter Paul writes to the churches in Ephesus or Corinth or Philippi or Thessalonica or Galatia, he isn't talking vision. He's talking values. Who we are in Christ. And there needs to be a shift. Personally, corporately, nationally, globally. There needs to be a shift. And maybe we could be part of the solution, part of the answer, and part of the help to see values re-established in our lives and in our families and in our homes and in our workplaces and in our church and in our sporting teams and wherever it may be. Let's be led by our values and not simply pulled along by our vision. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. Come on, let's stand up to our feet.